Have you ever overheard something you weren't supposed to hear? Whoa. I mean, probably, but not that I'm going to talk about here publicly. (laughs) All right, if you had to replace all the names in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I once overheard a conversation between my friends, Keth and Sile, about how they wanted to boot me from the podcast that they had. You're joking, right? Am I? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't. Yeah, I mean, because like we didn't. Our mics weren't on then, right? Oh, man. I was hoping it was (laughs) fake. (laughs) Kyle, what have you overheard? I mean, here's this is like a serious thing. I don't know if I've told my parents this. I'm sure I have. But there was definitely a point where I was a kid and on a, on Christmas night, I walked out and I overheard them like putting all the presents under the tree. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. You know, and I was like, <laughs> oh, this is the thing, you know. Kyle, then your parents must be Santa Claus. Well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to like go ahead and say that because there might be some listeners to this podcast who still believe Emily. So now they've overheard something ta- no, they I'm shouldn't saying, have. I'm saying <laughs> your parents collectively are Santa Claus. I'm not yes, saying Emily, he's and fake. I don't I'm want them to know real. that. That's oh. what I'm saying. <laughs> You'll have people banging down your door. <laughs> yeah. And if you had seen how the Santa Claus works in the movie, <laughs> they have to murder the Santa Claus to become Santa Claus. So now my parents, their lives are at stake. <laughs> Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Kyle Imperator and Emily Moyers take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. I'm Emily Moyers. And I'm Kyle Imperator. Kyle, what you got? Well, I, I, I'm <laughs> desperate. I'm desperate to hear this word that I, that, that is just around the corner for me. You know, it is. It's it's honestly, it's closer than around the corner, Emily. <gasps> and I can hear the desperation in your voice. So I'm going to give it to you. Nice. Your word today is sticky beak. S-T-I-C-K-Y-B-E-A-K. Sticky beak. Uh, uh, <laughs> one word. Sticky beak. Sticky beak. Yeesh. All right. I mean, I'm going to ask for the language of origin, but honestly, if you say anything other than it was made up in English, I'm going to be mad. It was made up in English. It specifically comes from Australia and New Zealand. I don't know oh, if that helps at all. Antipodean word. Antipodean. I almost talked about that today. <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> Some other word. day. It is a very good word. Antipodean just means from below from the, the antipodes. equator. Yeah. I can't even think what part of speech it is. Like adverb? <laughs> <laughs> no, a sticky beak can be used as a noun or as a verb. Okay. So a person or something can sticky beak? Yes. You got it. Give me a hint, Kyle. This is bonkers. <laughs> Emily, your hint is neighbor oh so is a sticky beak 
someone whose beak is sticking to the top of the fence because they're listening over the fence at their neighbor? I, I mean, yeah, basically, Emily. I mean, that's not the etymology, but I'm going to give it to you. Nice job. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. It's a, it's a nosy neighbor. <laughs> it's a nosy neighbor, Emily. Tr- literally. So yeah, a sticky beak is a a person who pries into the affairs of others. It can also be the act of looking around or watching something, especially something which does not directly concern the one looking. So you can sure, if you know have sticky a sticky beaking. beak at something. Yes, and yes, yeah, sticky beaking is it can be a verb, so it means to pry or snoop. Wow. Tell me more. Yeah, as I alluded to earlier, sticky beak is Australian and New Zealand slang. And it's the equivalent of what the British would call a nosy parker or what an American might call a buttinsky. (laughs) A buttinsky. I've heard that word before, but yeah, I forgot yeah. about it. That's a good word. <laughs> That's a good word, right? <laughs> it obviously is a portmanteau of sticky and beak yeah. in the sense of a curious person sticking their beak or their nose where it doesn't belong. So you were sure. right there. Stick's ancestor is believed to be the Proto-Indo-European steg, which means to pierce, prick, or be sharp which came through Old English stitchian, which means to pierce with a weapon or to remain embedded. You know, because you might pierce something with a weapon into a wall and it right, stays stick there, in. right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's where we get the double meaning today of the verb stick, meaning to poke or to adhere. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's you stick on as if you've just jammed something in. Got yeah, it. also from that Proto-Indo-European root steg, but through different paths, we get the other definition of stick as in a twig or a rod, and we get the word stitch through that, through the idea of piercing or pricking. Oh. Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> through, I don't <laughs> think it's through stitching, but it's, you know, similar there. Beak, meanwhile, comes from Middle English, Anglo-Norman, and Old French bec, B-E-C, from the Latin becus, possibly from the Proto-Indo-European bach, meaning pointed stick or peg. Interesting. Right. It gives a new view on the classical composer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So speaking strictly etymologically, Emily... A sticky beak could just be a stick used for sticking. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. These are very (laughs) similar, you know, near at hand terms. But that's not what sticky beak means, of course. No. uh, Because it's much newer and much slangier than that. Nice. How new is new? Well, the original meaning of sticky beak is the nose of an overly inquisitive person. So it first meant their nose was a sticky beak. Meaning the beak itself, yeah. Exactly. And the earliest written instance is from a 1914 issue of Sydney's Evening News in a poem entitled The Lust of Blood, (laughs) subtitled Transformation of Mr. Lath. Oh, I'm scared. Emily, who is Mr. Lath? Paint a picture for me. I mean, my immediate, th- because the title mentioned blood, <laughs> my immediate thought on hearing lath was like being in a lather. So, like, <laughs> I'm picturing him, like, in it. frothing at the mouth. <laughs> like, just absolutely rabid and, and, and bloodlusting. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
Sure. I, I think, well, we're going to read a little bit of this poem, and, and I think you'll get a sense for it. <laughs> okay. So as far as I can tell, Mr. Lath here is a fictional representation of Australian warmongers leading up to World War I. The poem tells of a man, Mr. Lath, who begins a timid, gentle soul, who cared not for war, but quickly became too eagerly curious in all of the goings-ons of the war. Okay, with you so far. So it follows, With pain the truth must now be told, A sticky beak he grew. Wherever war editions sold, There lath would coppers strew. Of blood he talked, of blood he dreamed, Of thousands done to death. And waking <sighs> oft for blood he screamed With all his power of breath. <laughs> I, I think my description was right. <laughs> it was... Very accurate. <laughs> so he's a sticky beak for for war news. Yeah, he was like, I need to know what's going on. I, I tell me more. <laughs> I, you know, Emily, I tried to see if there was some sort of pun with his name because you know that often happens in caricatures. Yeah. All that I could find was that a lath is a slat of thin wood. Uh, sometimes metal, sometimes stone, that was used with plaster in constructing interior walls at the time. Interesting. Does yeah, not seem related yeah. to me, at least. I, I don't know. It, but I'm putting it out there so that some of our Australian listeners at home <laughs> can draw the connection for us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, like I said, I, 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 my thought is maybe it's a reference to being in a lather. I, I think that's... Honestly, better than anything I could have come up with, Emily. So thank you for that. Thank you for your perspective. Hey, I'm just here to help. You know, I'm I'm your <laughs> TA in this class <laughs> on yeah. Sticky Beak. Yeah. Uh, you've got the Aussie perspective. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because I am a native-born Australian. Little did yeah. everyone know. Yeah. Um, I you spent might a lot of tell. time in elocution yeah. classes to <laughs> speak the way that I speak. <laughs> true. That's true. And a lot of time in therapy to forget the 10 years you spent in your mother's pouch. Yes, yes, yes. When I said I'm Australian, what I meant is I'm a kangaroo. So, of course, Emily, Sticky Beak soon came to refer to the person with the Sticky Beak, right? So, Edwin Greenslade Murphy, better known by his pen name Dry Blower, was... Oh. An Australian journalist that started his professional career in the chorus of the J.C. Williamson Opera Company before following the gold rush of 1892 to the mining town Coolgarda. The mining town Coolgarda? Coolgarda. That's that sounds like a seaside resort more than a mining town. <laughs> it, was an, it was an Australian mining town in, in the late 1800s. What can I tell you? Okay. There he did some dry blowing there, which is a process of extracting gold particles from dry soil by instead of putting it in water in a pan like miners in America did right. and then sifting it through the pan, you would yeah. pour it from a height allowing the finer dust to blow away and the denser gold particles to fall <laughs> into your pan. It was called dry blowing. Oh, wow. Um, honestly, <laughs> it feels like a hilariously large-scale <laughs> way to do something that could be done, 
on a much smaller scale in a uh, yeah <laughs> i mean absolutely they had to build dry blowing machines to pour it into <laughs> at some point they just must have maybe didn't have a lot of water in that town you know sure i mean if you're in the yeah. middle of the outback right which is what i'm picturing like they're, yeah, they're fully yeah. you know tumbleweeds abound well yeah and you know he he sang in the opera company before moving and like his uh, Wikipedia biography says that in that mining town, he like was known to go to like the saloons and like do sing-alongs on the piano with all the <laughs> miners like there. So it's time. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I tell you all this, Emily, because one, that's how he got his pen name Dry Blower. Sure. I mean, a relief to hear that it was yes, something mining yes, related. I, I know. <laughs> Could have gone so many ways. But his poem entitled It Appears, is a good example of both the usage of Sticky Beak as a person and the reputation of eavesdroppers in Australia. So his poem begins, In every population in our cities and our towns, among our Smiths and Johnsons, Wilsons, Robinsons, and Browns, there are scandalizing (laughs) Sticky Beaks who flute across the fence where their backyards join the others and the dirt is often dense. I love the poetry theme that this episode has taken. Yeah, it was not intentional, but I just went along with it. <laughs> I feel like I should do snaps every time you're done. <laughs> yeah. So, Emily, I, it appears is the name of this poem. Do you think you know why it's the name of the poem? I mean, is the it in question a sticky beak? It is not. In fact, is I've it the clown? It, yes, it appears. <laughs> it's actually a precursor to Stephen King's It. <laughs> and no, so the it appears in the title is a reference to how a sticky beak might slyly mention gossip to a neighbor. Oh, I've withheld this from you because the poem then continues. It appears that Mrs. Wobbles isn't really wed at all, and her daughter (laughs) owes for dresses that she danced in at the ball. It appears that Mr. Portley comes home sozzled twice a week, for all the neighbor's goings-on are known to Sticky Beak. Incredible. (laughs) Isn't that so good? This is very, like, I don't know, Silversteinian. Silversteinian. Well... It's funny. Another thing that his Wikipedia said is that when Gilbert and Sullivan started writing operettas, he got really into them and even went to London to sing in some of their productions. (laughs) That does fit lyrically. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's most of our usages of Sticky Beak, Emily. There isn't much else to go on here etymology-wise, but... I was, pardon the irony, overly inquisitive as to how noses came to be so connected with busybodies. Sure. Yeah. Because that is, yeah, that is like an integral connection in my brain. So, in order to figure this out, I had a bit of a sticky beak at the OED to find out. Oh, very good. Uh, How far back do you think this connection goes? Oh, using like like sticking your nose in to mean eavesdropping or or things of that ilk? Or just the connection of nose and like yeah. being curious. Wow. I'm going to say uh, just as 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 far back as back can go. Old old English, old French, something like that. Uh I don't think I've found it to go back that far, although it very well may have. I am not a lexicographer. So the OED dates the use of nose as a verb, meaning to perceive by the sense of smell, 
back to the first edition of the Hollandshed Chronicles in the late 1500s. Wow. Um, yeah, that's where I, I figured we could start saying sure. All right, to perceive by the sense of smell is to like, you know, to like look into something, right? To pry. Yeah, yeah. to nose around. Yeah, exactly. I'm Emily. I'm going to get to that. <laughs> so that a meaning evolved over time to mean to discover with a keen sense of smell and then to search furtively or to pry by the mid 1600s it started to take on that meaning sure yeah in the late 1700s to nose came to be associated with animals meaning of an animal to search for using the nose and then again changed to figurative use in the 1800s as you alluded to in combination with around or about as in nose around or nose about yeah. so you are on the right track emily you're sniffing it out <laughs> it's a fun phrase to to nose yeah. around i feel like we don't use it as i feel like it's more of a british thing than an american thing but it's a good phrase sure. there's a lot of imagery you know yeah cuz yeah. you feel like you're describing like a person making the motions that a bloodhound makes <laughs> literally exactly what i was thinking <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like being Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and that's just fun. <laughs> so it's in the early 1800s where we see nosy appear in the sense of inquisitive or prying. Right. Whereas prior to the 1800s, nosy existed as a word, but it simply meant having a prominent nose. <laughs> a beak, That's perhaps. a funnier meaning of nosy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was just nosy. <laughs> it's actually in the 1800s as well, that beak is begun to be used humorously to refer to a human nose. Right. I would imagine a big nose. Right. Yes, exactly. You know, a kind of in caricature. Yeah. Though John Florio, have you heard of him, Emily? Never in my life. So John Florio, in his Italian-English dictionary, A World of Words, translated the Italian phrase naso adunco as a beak <laughs> nose, a hawk nose, or a crooked nose, way back in 1598, which is almost you know, more than 200 years before beak started be, being used in the English language as nose. Wow. So it was an Italian slang first. Florio, uh, by the way, Emily, I didn't yeah. recognize his name either, but we should know him because he oh. is credited as contributing the third most words to the English language. What? Yep. How is that possible? Uh, because he wrote dictionaries. So he wrote wow. some Italian and Italian to English dictionaries, but I think he did other writings too. He was a very like sure. popular playwright and there's wow. a not a serious academic theory, but an internet theory that John Florio is like actually wrote Shakespeare's plays and that Shakespeare didn't exist, which we talked about previously, but sure. I mean, yeah, that, that theory, there's a lot yeah. of people suspected to have written Shakespeare's plays. Yeah. Wow. That's fun. But that makes sense. If he was writing like bilingual dictionaries, because before yes. there were like solely English dictionaries, there were like Italian English or French English or Latin English dictionaries. Right. So yeah. yeah. Emily, can you, that's do you fun. know, speaking of all these people, do you know who the first and second most contributors, Ooh. best contributors to the English language are? Wow. I mean, a million names are flying through my head, but I don't know who. Um, I, Shakespeare's name does come up a lot. Is he one of them? Yeah, he's number two. He's number two, but number one. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. So much pressure. I have to get this right. <laughs> Time is running out. It's actually someone that we haven't 
really talked about on the podcast, which is kind of striking. So maybe I, I don't know how accurate oh. this information is. Maybe I need to look somewhere else. But <laughs> well, go ahead the, and tell me. I'm curious. The, yeah, the source that I was reading says that Chaucer is the person who's oh. uh, yeah brought the most words to English. Uh, yeah, well, I guess that makes sense just timing wise because he was writing like before even early modern English. Like the Canterbury Tales is is Middle English. Right. Yeah. 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 And like. There was a lot like the Canterbury Tales is like a a long work. So there's a lot of room in there to put in new words. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay, Emily. So back to what we were talking about. Noses, beaks, their connection to inquisitiveness. Emily, the bird connections don't end here. All right. (gasps) Get ready for this. Snoop (gasps) comes from the Dutch snoopen meaning to pry or eat in secret. To eat in secret? Yes. Like to like steal away food and eat in secret. To snoop. To snoopin. And that may have some relation to the Middle Dutch word snovel, which means beak. Snovel is a fantastic word that we should start using in English snobble. to mean snobble. anything. Yeah. <laughs> snovel. And it means what in, in Middle Dutch? Beak. Beak. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Snovel sounds like you're eating something with your nose. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're really like scarfing away at food, you yeah. are snoveling. Snoveling. Yeah. Snovel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but you know what that's really close to is snivel or sniffle. Yeah, I, I, there's a possibility that those might be related. It looks like they are related to some older German words that mean snout. And I think oh. there's like a lot of weird connections there between snout and all the Germanic words like kind of branching out there. So it's possible. Well, sure. Because they, I mean, yeah, with all the like the Vikings coming across to England, like English and, and Germanic languages are all muddled. So I, I yeah. feel like there's got to be a relation in there somewhere. We can suss it out. We can sniff it out, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> we can snoot it out. We can snobble yeah, it, out. it out. Yeah, <laughs> snoop it. We can snoop it out. Emily, Snoopy, of course, describes oh someone gosh. who is excessively curious. Uh, <gasps> like it would Snoopy. be Snoopy. Yeah. Wow. Um, we be- we may better recognize it to be the name of uh, the famous Peanuts dog, which you are Absolutely. cooing and awing over there. <laughs> which I found, Emily, interestingly enough, that you bring this all up. This is crazy. Charles Schultz had originally intended Snoopy's name to be, appropriately, Sniffy. Wow. <laughs> it is all related. All of these it words are connected. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's so fun. Yeah. I love all these words. The real Good. ones and the Dutch <laughs> ones and the fake ones. <laughs> Good. Uh, here's one more for you, Emily. Okay. A kibitzer is oh. one who gives unsolicited advice, right? Somebody who kibitzes. Sure. And that may ultimately be related to the Middle High German gibitz, which yeah. was the Middle High Germ- German word for the bird plover in imitation of its cry. <gasps> gibitz. <laughs> gibitz. Gibitz. <laughs> Wow. So it's another beak. Wow. It's another beak. Yeah. And understandably, Emily, sticky beak in extended use references inquisitive animals. So I'm going to cap us off here with this quote from a 1944 edition of the geographical magazine Walkabout. 
a preface for this quote that you'll need to know to get the joke <laughs> here, the fun, uh, is that a saveloy is a type of sausage eaten in Australia. Thank you. I'll keep that in mind. That's a that's a surprise tip we'll use later. <laughs> surprise tip we'll use later, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I, I want you to picture this like it's some, you know, animal planet. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Jeff could Corwin. you do your best David Attenborough? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish I could do Steve Irwin is what I'd like to do, but I can't. I think you should try. <laughs> no, I should not. <laughs> so this article says, The emu is a real sticky beak and a thief. He will enter a man's tent and search about for something to eat. One of the most amusing sights that I saw was an emu running across the plains with a long string of saveloys hanging from his beak. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> that you. is a hilarious image to have in your brain, <laughs> right? Just an emu running with long link of sausage. Sausage yeah. links. <laughs> Emily, that's Sticky Beak. Fantastic. A fantastic quote, fantastic word, fantastic tangents. Thank you. I loved all of that. Uh, did you love it enough that you can use it in a sentence? <sighs> Boy, we'll see. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I'll tell you, I'll use Sticky Beak, and I'll also start it with, it appears oh. that youthful Kyle was a gosh darn Sticky Beak sneaking down <laughs> to peek at what his parents are doing on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Emily, truthful, nostalgic, wonderful. Great use Papa of the word John's. Sticky Beak. <laughs> Papa John's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great episode kyle thank you emily would you like to play a game i would so like to play a game emily your game today is called having a good captain are you oh I, I am i so originally emily i thought that sticky beak may have been Australian rhyming slang for peak, for taking a peak. It is not. Oh, is Australian rhyming slang a thing? Australian rhyming slang is a thing, Emily! Wow! Yeah! I just thought there was Cockney rhyming slang. This I, is a whole new world. I know. I'm, I'm broadening your horizons to the antipodes. <laughs> <laughs> so while sticky peak is not Australian rhyming slang for having a peak, you are having a look at something if you're having a captain or a captain cook uh, more fully. As in having a look? Yeah. <gasps> Same as having a butcher's or a butcher's hook is having a look at something. It's having a look. That's so fun. Yeah. So here, Emily, as an apology for not covering more Australian slang terms this episode, your game today will be to try to suss out the meaning of these sentences using Australian rhyming slang. I'm Are you in? I'm so excited. Good. I love this so much. Okay. Good. <laughs> Emily, if you know someone too attached to their Al Capone, what are they attached to? Their phone. Yes, you got it, Emily, right their off the bat. Their mobile phone. <laughs> yeah. They also use dog and bone instead of Al Capone. Sure. That, I think, is yeah. a Cockney one, too. It's interesting that Al Capone is not an American <laughs> euphemism for phone. Yeah. Okay, Emily, your next one. If you happen to find yourself in a Barney, what are you in? Oh, well, I don't know what the rhyming slang is, but I think a Barney is just a fight, like a bar fight. Mm, nope. Oh, does it rhyme with Barney or is there a, like a longer phrase, like a missing word? 
There's a missing word, Emily. Oh, boy. I don't know. Tell me. If you happen to find yourself in a Barney, Emily, if I give you the fuller phrase, yeah, can, maybe tell see me, if you tell guess. me the full phrase, and then I'll see if I can get it. If you happen to find yourself in a Barney rubble, what are you in? Just trouble. You're in trouble, Emily. <laughs> I guess I overthought. Yeah. I specified the trouble. <laughs> yeah. So Barney is Australian rhyming slang for trouble through Barney rubble. Wow. I love the little fun. step to get there. You know. Yes, I like that too. Emily, if you won't go in the water because you want to avoid a Noah, what are you trying to avoid? A shark? A Noah's Ark? Yeah! Wow, you're yeah. so good at this, Emily! <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> I love it because it's like you've got to go from A to C. You've got to get yeah. you've got to do the hop in the middle and get to exactly. where you want to go. <laughs> exactly. Uh, these are gonna get a little harder, Emily, okay? Oh, They're I'm ramping excited. up. Emily, if you and I are Seppos, but our friend Joshua Blackburn is not, what are we? Oh my gosh. Seppo. I mean, if you got this, Emily, I would explode. (laughs) Can you tell me the full phrase that Seppo is part of? I can. Seppo is short for septic tank. Oh, we're Yanks. We're Yanks. You got it, Emily. <laughs> we're Yankees. Yeah. Australians call call us Seppos. That's really funny. I don't funny. know if I like the septic tank in between. <laughs> well, it's probably meant to be an insult. <laughs> yeah, right? I'll take That's it. That's funny. We're both like, yeah, we're garbage. <laughs> yeah. Thoughts us in the street. I don't care. <laughs> Emily, this last one's a bonus, okay? Okay. There's two in this bonus, is what you need to know. Okay. If you were to order a dog's eye with dead horse, what are you ordering? Are those both the full phrases, or is there more? Nope, those are both the full phrases. Okay. A dog's eye and a dead horse? A dog's eye with dead horse. Dog's eye with dead horse. Boy. Jeez, Louise. Uh, 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 uh. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. If uh, you, you, this is a thing you're ordering? Yes, like a meal, like a food. You're ordering an (laughs) apple pie and a second course. (laughs) I mean, you're, you're pretty, you pretty much got the first one. Dog's eye is Australian rhyming slang for pie. In this sense, it's a meat pie because of what it's ordered with. And in order to get dead horse, you have to say it in an Australian accent, I think, to get the rhyme to work. What? How different could it be? I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's different. What is the answer? So a dead horse or a racehorse is Australian rhyming slang for tomato sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Never in my life would I have gotten I there. <laughs> I know. Well, that's why I said you got to do your Australian accent. I don't even think I would have lined it up, at least not in what I think is an Australian <laughs> accent. I don't think those words would rhyme. Um, but thank you for showing me just how ignorant I am about Australian <laughs> slang. <laughs> I'm, I see it. That's another thing that I thought you'd be familiar with because I know how much you love Cockney rhyming slang. I'm so glad I that do. I could bring this to your attention. It's fantastic. I loved every minute of that. I hope all our listeners did. 
And I also hope all our listeners remember that they can find Butter No Parsnips on social media, on Facebook and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast and on TikTok at Butter No Parsnips. And if you like today's episode, consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you heard us. And if you really like today's episode, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. Donating $5 or more earns you a shout-out either on social media or here on the podcast. Thanks so much to all of you. You help us make what we make. And with that, I've been Kyle Imperator. And I've been Emily Moyers, and this has been Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips.